Well, good morning, church. Hope you had a good week this week, um, good weekend. Uh, so today, uh, I want to remind you of something coming up tonight, which is the prayer and worship time um, at six o'clock. And we really want to encourage you to come out for that. And we talk about this a lot when these things come up, but uh, this is important. Uh, this is as or more important than anything we do. And that's when we um, begin to pray together um, as a community of believers. And so I really want to encourage you guys to come back for that at six o'clock um, and join us as we worship, we pray together. Um, some other churches will be joining us to gather here to pray. And so um, it's, a, it's a really awesome time and a really important time. So I really want to encourage you um, to come back for that and, uh, and, and be a part of this as we do what Jesus told us to do, which is to pray that um, you know, God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we pray that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And so um, come join us for that. Um, obviously, I've got something on my arm, so go ahead and tell you I had to have a little bit of old age cleaned out from my shoulder this week. Uh, and so um, nothing major, you know, when you have something like that and you kind of walk around with a sling and you kind of wish it was something a little bit more heroic, um, but nothing really other than getting old. And so um, you kind of wish it was like, you know, how many of you have seen the movie Tombstone? Tombstone? One of the greatest movies ever in the history of movies. Um, you kind of wish it was a little bit more like when Virgil's laying on the pool table and like he, he's telling his wife, he's like, I still got one good arm to hold you with. You know what I'm talking about? It, it just doesn't work like that. But anyway, um, it, nothing much to it really. And so uh, that, that's just to, so you won't be looking at this the whole time, right? I wonder what he did. Didn't take a bullet, nothing heroic. So um, just got old. Um, Today, we're going to continue the series, To Be Continued, out of the book of Acts. We're going to read in just a minute Luke uh, chapter 24, verses 50 through 53, and we're going to read Acts 1, uh, 6 through uh, 26. And so we'll do that in just a second. Remember this series, as we're going through the book of Acts, um, we're really looking at how Jesus's mission continued by the Holy Spirit through his people. We've talked about this, how um, the work of Jesus began and Luke who wrote Luke, the gospel of Luke and Acts, um, he recorded the things that Jesus began to do and teach in the gospel of Luke. We come to the book of Acts, he tells us what Jesus continued to do by the Holy Spirit through his people. And so that's what we've been looking at over the last few weeks. Um, and so let's go and read Luke chapter 24, verses 50 through 53. Now what you're gonna see is that there's an overlap from Luke's gospel to his writing in the book of Acts. And so we wanna look at that today and kind of bridge that gap between those two and, and pull those together um, to see a few things about this people, these people that God has now called to himself and called to go and continue the mission of Jesus. And so let's read Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 50. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And so what we're reading is after Jesus's resurrection, um, he's been, been revealing himself to some people, um, showing himself to them. And um, Luke even says, with many convincing proofs, he proved to them that he was alive. And now he's about to ascend to heaven. And so he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him 
and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Now let's go to Acts chapter one, beginning in verse six. We looked at these, some of these verses last week. I just wanna kind of overlap with where we went. So Jesus has promised in verse five that they'll soon be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He tells them in verse six, he says, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're thinking physical kingdom on the earth. Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And so we read this last week and we talked about how Jesus is telling them not yet for a physical kingdom on the earth. He says, but in other words, he says, but until I return, there's a very important purpose for you as my people. Um, you have a very important mission and that is to continue the work that he began by the Holy Spirit. And so um, in verse 12, it says, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, the Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120 and said, brothers and sisters, scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, Judas the one who betrayed Jesus, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field, there he fell headlong, his body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. That's a great picture, right? Um, Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language a keldama, they, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. These are Old Testament passages that Peter is realizing at this point is leading them towards um, replacing Judas as one of the 12 apostles. He says, therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. And so if he was gonna be one of the 12, there were certain characteristics that he had to fulfill, whoever was gonna take Judas's place. One of those was he had to be with him throughout Jesus's earthly ministry. Another one was he had to have seen the resurrected Christ. And so these are what we would call like big A apostles. These are apostles who do not exist any longer because no one else meets these qualifications. And so um, this is what he's talking about. So he says, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry. 
which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias so that he was added to the 11 apostles. So we're gonna pray and then we're gonna get into um, this word. Lord, we thank you for your word to us, God. God, I'm thankful this morning that it's living and active. Lord, I'm thankful this morning that the gospel that you've given us, the good news of Jesus, that you've revealed to us through your son, God, the good news that we can be saved by faith in Christ. God, I'm thankful, Lord, that that message is still powerful, that God, that message is still life-changing, that your spirit, God, still uses that message to change hearts and lives. God, I thank you, Lord, that today you would speak to our hearts. Let our devotion, our love for you, our worship of you grow more. And God, let us, um, let us be compelled by your love to continue this mission of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, how many of you would say you have a challenging family? Maybe not like right at your immediate family in your home, but how many of you would say you have a little bit of a challenging family, um, maybe outside, maybe it is your, your home, but, but um, probably all of us in some ways have a challenging family. We have um, challenges in our family. Um, how many of you have that person in your family that you don't tell a lot of people about? Anybody? And so you, you, you meet them and then somebody goes, oh, um, yeah, that's my cousin. And you're like, I didn't know they were your cousin. And they're like, exactly, right? And, and so you just don't tell people about that. And, and the reality of it is that family dynamics are tough, right? And a lot of times they're tough, they're difficult. Even with people that we are blood related to, it is difficult. And so what's amazing about what Jesus has done and what um, the Father's plan is for the earth and what the Holy Spirit is to empower us to do is that he takes people who aren't even blood related, right? We have no um, physical, so to speak, relationship as far as being kin to one another. And he says, I'm gonna use you as a community of people to change the world. And you look at that and that automatically throws up for us this, this dynamic, this realization that this is going to be a challenging thing. Sometimes we read the scripture and we look at it and it seems like um, everything was just, you know, roses. It was all rainbows and lollipops and it, it wasn't. It was challenging for them too. But today I want us to see in this that the truth of the matter is that this is a new dynamic community that was begun by Jesus through his Holy Spirit and, and that we are a continuation of that with certain dynamics and certain characteristics that should continue to be seen in God's people. And so we're gonna look at that today. Um, the first thing I want you to see in this is you look back at Acts chapter 1, 15, and then verses 21 and 22, is that Jesus is, and the scripture that, that foretold all of these things, this was to show the people that this is a new, unique community. We've talked about this some before um, when we, in other messages, how Jesus told um, the, the people as he would teach them, he was teaching them at the Sermon on the Mount, and he told them, he said, you are the salt of the earth. He said, you are the light of the world. And he's not meaning just the individual. He's meaning the community. What he's saying is you are to be a new, unique, dynamic community of people that changes the world. And so that's what he's telling us. And that's what we need to understand. We are called to be a part of a very unique, 
new dynamic community that is empowered by the Holy Spirit to continue what Jesus began and see the face of the earth being transformed, renewed, and redeemed to the glory of God. And so when we look at this, if you look at verse 15, it says, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. Okay, so it's important that he mentions that. Now flip over to verse 21 and 22 as he's talking about replacing Judas. He says, therefore, in verse 21, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John the Baptist to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of the resurrection. Now these two passages um, on the surface don't, don't seem like there's much to them. Okay, Luke was just telling us there were 120 people um, in this room gathered together in the beginning, but there's more to it than that. Um, in Jewish law, like according to their traditions, um, there had to be 120 people in order for it to constitute or really be considered a community. And so Luke is making a point in this. He's saying there was about 120. In other words, there was a gathering big enough that even in Jewish tradition and Jewish law, it was considered a community of people. If you go over to Matthias and where they begin to put him in place and Peter says it's necessary to replace him. What you need to understand is that there, it wasn't just to fill a spot. There was a reason for 12 people. There was a reason for 12 apostles. And the reason for that is it represented the 12 tribes of Israel. Israel being the chosen people of God to bring the Messiah, to bring Jesus into the world. And so he wants us to see in this that they fulfilled this role, this, this um, putting this 12th person in because it was important for that because it showed them that this is the redeemed Israel. This is the new Israel. This, this new community of people that has been established, 120 or so. And then there's, there's the replacement of Matthias and what he's, of, of Judas with Matthias. And what he wants us to see is that this is indeed a new dynamic community that isn't gonna be empowered, infused in chapter two with the Holy Spirit to accomplish the purposes for which Jesus had, had called them. And so there's more to it than what we just see on the surface, that, that we are a new, unique, dynamic community. Jesus's people, God's people, who continue the mission by the Spirit. And so we need to understand this, guys. It's not um, as flippant as sometimes we make it. It's important. This gathering, it's important, but it's even more important what happens out there. That we are the salt, we are the light. We are a, a, a world-changing, earth-shaking movement that began 2,000 years ago and has not stopped yet. The next thing I want you to see is that they were a worshiping community. In Luke chapter 24, it says that in, in verse um, 52, he says, then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And so this was a worshiping community. They weren't just a new dynamic community. They were a worshiping community. They worshiped Jesus. They worshiped God. They did this together. And so we need to understand this. And sometimes we think about worship in the wrong way. We think about worship, not the wrong way, but maybe in too much of a narrow way. We think about worship as just singing. 
So we'll even, and I, I do this too, like we'll say, okay, after the worship, we'll have a message. And so we kind of confine worship to um, singing songs, especially in a gathering. But Paul tells us that offering our lives as a living sacrifice is our true act of worship. And so a surrendered life to God, as these people are surrendered, and we're gonna see this more and more as we go through this, a surrendered life to Jesus is the true act of worship. It's not just singing songs. When we come in and we sing songs, or you're riding in your car and you're singing songs to Jesus, we're exalting him and we're giving him praise, but our worship is not limited to the songs we sing. Our worship is our entire life being laid down for Jesus. Is surrendering everything to him, that nothing is off limits. Nothing is off limits to Christ because we're offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. As they were a worshiping community, they were also a loving community. They were a loving community. If you look at this in verse 52, they were worshiping him. Why? They loved him. They were devoted to him. We see this. We're going to see this even more throughout the book of Acts. We also know they loved Jesus because they obeyed his commands. Oftentimes we think about obeying commands like um, when my children have to do what I say, it becomes burdensome. But Jesus told us this, he said, look, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. He, he's not saying like my burden, my, my, my commands, my, my, my things I ask of you, they're, they're not to be burdens. If you love me, this will be a source of joy. This will be a source of joy. And so they loved Jesus, they obeyed him. Even in Acts one, we see this, where they obeyed him, they went and they waited in Jerusalem. They waited until the Holy Spirit came. And so we too are called to be a surrendered, worshiping people, a loving people who first of all, love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength, surrendering our lives to him. We're also called to be this loving community as we love each other. The love of God in our lives should spill over to the people around us. It should be evident, right? Where when people come in, um, even to a gathered community of believers, when they come into this gathering of believers, that they should feel the love of God and they should feel the love of God from us, right? And when people who maybe have never been in church Maybe they have been and they've been away from church. Maybe they, like most people, have had a bad church experience, but there's something unique about a people who are worshipers of God, who love God with all their heart and love each other that's in the same manner that when people who've even had bad church experiences walk in, there's something that supernaturally takes place where the Holy Spirit begins to reveal to them that there's something different. There is a love of God that is real. It is a reality. It's not just something that we make up. It's not just something that we pretend, but God's love is real for them. And they should experience that as they come into the gathering. They should experience that um, from, the God, from God's people. They should see that in the way that we love each other. So they were a worshiping community. They're a loving community. Um, they're a praying community. If you look at this in Acts chapter one, verse 14, it says they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So they gathered together and they, they weren't just sitting idly, right? They weren't just sitting idly. We think about that, they went to the room and you know, they, they ate, they slept, they took, no, they were praying. They were praying. 
They were seeking God. They were pressing in. And this is to be a praying community. And so guess what we're going to do tonight? We're going to pray. And again, I encourage you, come out. Let's pray. Let's really press in and seek God. Let's really ask God that, that his kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's really ask God that, that his will would be done. Let's really ask God that he would change people's hearts. Let's really ask God that to, to move in the lives of those that we think there is no way God can save. But we know that God can save them because he saved us. And if he can save me, he can save them. There's nobody that's so far gone that God's arm is too short to save that he can't reach down and pluck them out of whatever they're in. So let's pray. Let's pray like it matters. Let's pray like it really does have effect. I knew I could, I could probably go without this sling, but I knew if I didn't wear it, I was gonna throw my arm up in the air and tear something apart, so I had to wear it. But this is the thing I want you to see is prayer matters. It makes a difference. We, we need to be praying people, a, a new community, a dynamic community that worships, that loves, that prays. Another characteristic is that they were unified. They were a unified community. It tells us in verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer. It tells us in Luke 24 that they were together worshiping constantly at the temple. What do we see in that? We see temple worship, big gathering worship, but we also see, and it goes on in Acts and talks about this, from home to home, they were worshiping and praying. And they were unified in this. They were one heart and one soul, one mind. Is literally what that word means. They were unified. Um, and I wanna make a point here because I think it's significant. It tells us in this that they were constantly praying. And it says, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. In those days, it would have been very odd for Luke to have mentioned that the women were there. In those days, the culture would not have brought that out. It would have been more about the men who were there. But I want you to see this, that in the gospel, in, in God's um, kingdom, women count, right? They don't just count in the numbers. They count in the ministry. You have a purpose in the ministry. Paul even tells us that there's no difference in male and female. You have a purpose, right? Male and female, you have a great purpose in this. And then there's others of us that think for some reason we're disqualified. I'm female, I've sinned, I've done this, I've done that. My past is too bad. And yet here's the thing about Jesus. He takes our past and he takes our sins and he makes us new and he says, now you're useful to me. Just live in worship of me. Just live in a life that's aligned with me and I'll do more through you than you could have ever thought or imagined. So they were a unified community, a together community. They, they were of one heart, one soul, one mind, gathered, praying, loving, worshiping. Then 
Here's another one. They were an expectant community. This is important, guys. This is important. They were an expectant community. They were expecting the Holy Spirit to show up. They believed Jesus's promises. It wasn't just something they did kind of reluctantly. They went and they began to pray. They said, because Jesus promised, and we know if he promised, he's gonna do what he promised. The Father promised that he would send the Spirit. Jesus promised he would send the Spirit back, that another one would come. And so we're gonna pray expectantly. But how many times when we gather to pray, whether it's with one or, or, or a few or with many, do we really expect God to move? Do we really come together? And it's not just words, but we're expecting him to move. Lord, we're, we're looking to you because of your promises that we're expecting that you're gonna move in this situation, that you're gonna work. And so they're expectantly praying, even though, listen, they didn't exactly know what to expect. They didn't know exactly what this was gonna look like. But they knew Jesus promised something that is so important. He said, don't you move until you receive him. And so they were expecting, they weren't just going through the motions, they were expecting God to move. They were also a hopeful community. We see this from the standpoint of, of how they um, saw Jesus' resurrection, they saw his ascension, and then these two men dressed in white, most scholars and people believe they were angels, that's what they would say they are, is angels, and so these angels speak to them, and they're like, why are you staring up into the sky? Don't you know that Jesus, um, that just as he left, and he, he's gonna come back in the same way? And so they lived their life hopeful. Why? Because they knew that this is not the end. They knew that what we are in the flesh is just flesh. That old age is gonna get us at some point, right? But they lived hopeful. When they were threatened about preaching in the name of Jesus, they didn't shrink back, why? Because they knew they may take our life, but they can't take us out of the hands of Jesus. When they were ridiculed, they kept pushing forward. Why? Because they knew that no matter what happened, their future was secure. And one day they would be in a kingdom that was established on the earth where none of this happens anymore. And so they were a hopeful people. They were expecting people. Here's the last one. They were a spirit-filled community. We're gonna see this more as we go into chapter two, but the power of the Holy Spirit was moving amongst them. They weren't an organization. They were more like an organism with breath. The word for spirit in Greek is pneuma. It means breath or wind or spirit or ghost. And these were people that were filled with the very breath of God, an organism, a living organism filled with the very breath of God, the very power of God to carry out their mission. Not an organization that just tried to figure it all out, but that were empowered by the Spirit of God. A Spirit-filled community. When we see this where they cast lots to see who to replace Matthias with, this was something that was consistently, pretty consistently done in the Old Testament as a way to discern God's will, right? They would pray and they would say, God, you reveal this. They would cast lots 
kind of like rolling dice or something, you know, and they cast lots and then they would make their decision based off of that. But what's really interesting is the book of Acts does not mention casting lots after the Holy Spirit has come. Why? Because the Holy Spirit became their guide. There was no longer any reason to cast lots because Jesus himself had sent his spirit to live in them, to be their guide to lead them into truth, to empower them for ministry, to guide them in the way that they should go. And so we people, listen, we, we, we are a continuation of the movement of Jesus by the Holy Spirit as his people. And the thing I want you to understand is that we are called to be a worshiping community, a community that day after day offers ourselves as living sacrifices. We're called to be a loving community, a praying community, a unified community, an expecting, a expectant community, a hopeful community, a spirit-filled community. How does this matter today, right? Like, how, how do we carry this out? It's, what's the application? That's what everybody always says. What's the application of this? Well, here's, here's a few. What if you grabbed three or four people and started getting together once a week to pray specifically for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven? You grab two, three, four people without it being organized by the institution and you started praying. And then what if when you began to pray, you prayed until something happened? Because the believer's prayer wasn't just unified prayer. It wasn't just a prayer together. It was a prayer that we're gonna pray until we see something happen. And what if it was the same way with us, that our prayer was unified together with one heart and one soul to see the kingdom of God come and we're gonna keep pushing, we're gonna keep pressing until we see it happen. And we're not going to quit or give up. Here's another application. What if you just came to prayer and worship tonight with the gathered community? Because here's something we hear a lot is, I don't know how to pray. And that's okay. That's okay. Look, when we come into this, some of these things are kind of tough for us to kind of step into. I don't know how to pray. But here's the thing I'll tell you about the Christian life and a relationship with Jesus. The Christian life is much more caught than it is taught. It happens much more in relationship than it does you watching me on a screen. It does much more in relationship than it does you listening to me preach a message. There's obviously benefits in that, right? But come where you can not just be taught, but this can be caught in your life. You know how the best way to learn how to pray is listen to people who've been praying for a while. Hear how they just talk to God. And you don't have to mimic them. You don't have to be exactly like them. But what you're gonna find is most of the people with the most powerful prayer lives, they don't use a bunch of fancy words. You know what they do? They talk to their heavenly father like he's a good father. It's a lot more simple than we make it. So what if you came tonight and you pressed into God? A third one for you this morning is putting ourselves in position to be continually filled 
with the Holy Spirit, putting ourselves in position. And this is something that is something you have to discipline yourself to do is I'm gonna continually put myself in position to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna continually put myself in a worshipful position so that God is working in my life. And there's some dangers with this application. And those two dangers, you can write these down. Those two dangers are legalism and laziness. Legalism and laziness. And I would liken it to this. It's almost like you've got legalism on this side and laziness on this side. When I was in the roofing business, I used to have to walk beams, you know, about six inch beams. And I'd walk those beams and I absolutely hated it because I'm afraid of heights. Um, and so I was a roofer afraid of heights. God, I guess, has a sense of humor. And so, but I would walk those beams. And here's the thing. If I went to the right, it wasn't good. If I went to the left, it wasn't good. So where did I stay? Right in the middle, right? Right on the beam. Just keep walking the beam. Just, just keep your eyes on the beam, right? Keep moving. And so it's kind of that way with legalism and laziness. What changes it from legalism is when we have a desired goal in the end. What changes it from legalism is God's love in our life. What changes it from legalism is our love for God that begins to compel us to a desired goal of experiencing him more. It's why Paul could say, one thing I do, I press on towards the goal. One thing I do, I strain ahead. Wasn't that kind of like legalistic or? No, he was compelled by the love of Jesus. He had a goal in mind. When we have a goal in mind, we discipline ourselves so we can get to the goal. It's also the love of God that moves us out of laziness. A desired goal, wanting to get to a certain place, moves us out of apathy and lethargy and, and laziness, and we begin to move. Compelled by God's love, I can't just sit here. I gotta, I gotta press in, I gotta press on, I gotta strain ahead. Because I wanna know him. That's what Paul says. I do this because I wanna know him. I wanna know him. I wanna know him more. So a desired goal is what makes it a discipline, not legalism. A desired goal is what moves us from laziness and apathy to action. And see, here's the thing that I can't do for you. I, I can't, and, and I wish that we could do this. I can't make you see the love of God for you. I can't make you be in awe of God's grace to a point where it compels and changes the rest of your life. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The only thing I can do for you is what Paul said in Galatians 3.1, the apostle Paul writing to the churches in Galatia, he said, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. He said, I painted a picture for you of Jesus on the cross so that you could understand he paid the price for your sins. I can tell you what Paul told the Corinthian church in, in, in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. In verses three and four, he told them, I passed on as of first importance to you the gospel that I preached. He said that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he began to appear to many people. 
can try to help us see this picture beginning to understand God's love for us that was so great that he sent Jesus to earth to take away the sin of the world to save all those who would call upon his name, to fill them with the power of his spirit, to continue the movement that he had begun. Um, I don't know if anybody noticed, but it's football season. Anybody notice that? Anybody watch games yesterday? Yeah. I'm sure some of your teams won, some didn't, but we're hopeful, right? Because Jesus will return. Um, and so anyway, uh, I like football. I have uh, three boys that play football. And so I have a tendency at football games to get a little carried away. Right, Billy? He was sitting pretty close to me the other night, Friday night. And so What's happening is, is um, my oldest son's playing and um, he plays on the defensive line. And so just about every play he was getting hell. And it was like really, really obvious. And, and I'm one of these people like, I get fired up about things when they just aren't right. Anybody else like that? It's just not right. And so I, I get offended, I get mad, especially when it's my own kid. And so he's getting held like just about every play. And I'm like, holding, holding, you're awful. I even turned around to the, the, the referee in the press box and I'm like, can you help them? This is bad. And then towards the end of the game, um, I start noticing where like their left guard and tackle are kind of like getting on the pile and they were kind of like, like pushing off of me, like kind of trying to rough him up a little bit. Because when you can't beat him, you got to kind of cheat, right? That's dad coming out in me, a little bit of pride there in my son. And, and so I started noticing this and I'm like, Susan, I'm about to go on the field. I'm about to lose my mind. And I just had shoulder surgery the day before. I'm like, I'm gonna be like the one-legged preacher. I'm just gonna be out there just kicking. He would have killed me, of course, and I would have gone to jail. So it wouldn't have been good. But there's something that happens in me when it's my child and, and, and I see something that's not right. Um, whether it's my son who's in middle school or my nine-year-old, whatever. If it's not right and I feel like it's an injustice being done to them, there's something that just goes, Bruh! And I say that to relate this because sometimes we're able to relate to earthly, physical, tangible things that we've experienced um, and relate those to God the Father. We can do that in a good way. We can do that in a bad way. What I want you to understand is that God the Father looked down at the earth he created and that he loved so much. And he saw people and he saw things that were not right and he could not stand it. And so he sent his son to die in our place to take the wrath of, of all his wrath on sin and, and on all the wrong in the world. And he sent his son to do that because he could not stand to, to watch the world exist in the way it existed. But he sent him to redeem it and make it right. The love of God that couldn't just sit by apathetically, that couldn't just 
be, be, be um, apathetic towards what was going on. But, but from the moment of sin, even before the foundations of the earth, he had the plan that I am so angry, not just at sin, but at the enemy for what he's caused to happen to my children, that I'm gonna send my son and he's gonna go down there and he's gonna live a life that is perfect. And he's gonna go to a cross that he didn't deserve. And he's gonna take my wrath and separation from me, even though he should never have to do this. And he's gonna go into this dark, cold cave with a cold body. But because of the sacrifice that he made, I'm gonna breathe my spirit, the same spirit that lives in you. I'm gonna breathe my spirit into him. I'm gonna raise him to life. I'm gonna roll away a stone. He's gonna step out in victory. He's gonna ascend to heaven. I'm gonna send back my spirit and I'm gonna do all of this because of the great love I have for my people. And here's the thing, I, I can get excited. I can wave my one little arm around, but I can't make you see it. Only the Holy Spirit does that. Persuasive words, Paul said this to the Corinthians too. Persuasive words, they can't change your heart. Persuasive words can't open your eyes but the Spirit of God can. And that's my prayer for you this morning, is that the Spirit of God would open your eyes to the reality of God's great love for you and that it would compel us away from legalism to press on and strain ahead to know him better, not falling into apathy and laziness, but, be, but being people who are unique community that love God, that love one another, that pray together, that seek God together, they're expecting God to move, that are hopeful in light of Christ's return and that are spirit-filled and empowered to continue the work of Jesus in the world. So Father, we thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word, the power, God, of your word, that your word is still so living and so active. Father, would you move in our hearts again? Would you open our eyes? Would you give us eyes to see? Would you enlighten the eyes of our heart to behold a little bit more the depth and width of, God, of your love for us, that God, we would be compelled to be this community of people you've called us to be, that we wouldn't wait for an institution to mobilize us, but that we just begin to grab people and start to pray and start to listen for your spirit to speak and start to be that unique community of people that you have created us to be. And Lord, in this, we give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. And Lord, let us leave here, not letting this go, go out so quickly from our heart and from our mind, but that God, we would sit in it. We would meditate on it. We would draw close to you, Lord, with a hunger and an expectation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, guys. Hope you have a good week. Um, let's press in, guys. There's, there's a lot that God desires to do through his church, not just this one, but through his church. Um, I'm excited to see what's gonna happen. God bless you.